0: Today we're talking about the fifth sign in John's Gospel, Jesus walking on water. And so today we're gonna to talk about the five best practices to learn how to walk on water. It Starts with shoes, speed, physics, none of that. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter six. I love this liquid mountaineering video. Obviously a hoax, if you didn't know, they didn't actually get that many steps far. Uh, they built an underwater platform and they run across it. But our world is fascinated with the idea of walking on water. It's in the cultural zeitgeist, and you've seen it in movies and television, and it's, it's a metaphor, like, did you walk on water? It's usually a pejorative of, oh, you walked on water to get here? Like, you're so holy. Um, but we're fascinated with it. And what John's account does in chapter 6 is a beautiful thing. Is It's not just Jesus walking on a couple of steps, being towed in with the right footwear at the right angle. It's Jesus walking on water in a storm in a windstorm with waves crashing, and he doesn't just walk a couple of steps, he walks for miles. Here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee, just for context so you can see. I'm not sure if that's my mic ringing out, but we'll fix that. That's the Sea of Galilee. It's a 33-mile circumference. It's uh, 13 miles this way and eight miles this way. It's 150 feet deep, so Jesus isn't just walking in little puddles across a few steps, he's walking, as we'll see, three, four miles out to his disciples. It's something that John writes because as we've seen in the course of these last six chapters, that five of the seven signs that John will write about to to show that Jesus is God and that there's life in his name is, is is that Jesus does what only God could do. In 8 it says that who alone can tread across the seas And John's account of Jesus is to say that Jesus doesn't just do a miracle, but that he is God. The only thing that God could do, no matter the footwear, the angle, the diameter will get you a couple steps in the water, but Jesus walking on the raging seas takes an evening stroll. And it does that to remind us of the God who can walk on the storms, controls the storms, and that he's the God that they've been waiting for. And as we look at one account of a storm today, we know that Scripture and what we see about God and His character and what He does and His ability and capacity also extends into our lives today. Not to run on water, but to weather the storms of life. We'll see that those are true about who God is today as it was then. And though we may not be on a physical boat, there are storms in life that will come. Anybody agree? In a storm today, been in a storm, coming out of a storm they come in life. It's a financial storm. It's a relational storm. It's, a, it's one phone call away from your life being turned upside down. And no matter how many storms we go through, our storm theology, which we'll talk about here in a bit, can be off. We can forget the last storm that we went into, and you'll see the disciples respond. We're going to look at three different accounts. We'll cheat a little bit like Steve did last week. We'll look at John 6, but walking on water is in three of the four gospels. And they all give us a little bit more nuance that will paint the picture of who God is and hopefully come to the conclusion, as John hopes that you do and that I hope that you do, that Jesus is a Messiah and there's life in his name. And so if you remember the five signs, we saw that Jesus turns water into wine. The next is we see that he heals the official's son who's at his deathbed. The next is that he heals the invalid at at Bethesda, at the pool, waiting there, who'd been there for 38 years. And then last week's that he turns a kid's lunch of loaves and fish into feeding 5,000 family units. And what we see in these miracles is what I, I hope that you see today is that there's a God who sees, first of all. We've been continually reminded of that. John's just trying to hammer it into our brains. That God sees, He he sees the unlovely, He sees the unseen, but He sees the need, and He meets that need. And He sees beyond the internal or the external, but He sees the internal need, and He meets that. And we see that God is a God who saves, and God is a God who cares, He loves the broken hearted, He's near to the broken, and He saves, and He heals, and He redeems, And we also see that God's timing is perfect, but can I get an amen? It's not our time. Amen? Look at those five miracles just for a second. He could have brought wine at any point in time into the wedding, but he brings it at the absolute last drop where there's nothing left and everyone's panicking. Now what? The wedding's not even over. How embarrassing this is going to be. Can somebody come in and bring relief? To the official son, he's on his deathbed. At any point, he could have brought health and healing to this boy, but yet it's at the last minute on his deathbed that his dad leaves, which you never do. You never leave the bedside of somebody dying. And he leaves and begs, and there's healing, and Jesus doesn't even go to him, but at the absolute last minute, he speaks a word, and life comes in. To the invalid, 38 years. 32 years would be enough. Can I get the point, Jesus? 10 years would be great. But 38 years, right at the right time, at the right moment, he meets them there. And in the feeding of the 5,000, man, strategy would be great. Jesus, we're all about feeding the poor. We've seen that be your thing. We've seen you be about the unlovely and the unloved. But could we have planned for it? Could we have fundraised for it? Could we have done an envelope thing to send kids to camp but to, to send loaves and fish to people as they meet with you today? Could we have saved some funds and built up some reserves and found out a way to transport all that bread to that location? And yet, he just says, how about now we feed them? And in a similar way, we see Jesus in chapter 6, in the fifth miracle in John's account, coming in at the right time, a God who sees, a God who saves, and a God who's timely, but it's not our time. And they're found in a storm. So if you have scripture with you, John chapter six, let's look at it together. John chapter six, verse 16 and following. And just as a reminder, chapter six is connecting for the next four sermons, the last sermon and the next three coming up after this. They're all connected to the same thing. It's not like healing, miracle, some space, and now a new miracle. These are intended to be read as if this is uh, sequential. It's for the reader to say there's a connection to the storm and the bread somehow. And so we'll pick up that Jesus feeds everybody, and they want to make him king by force. That's where we left off last week. And now verse 16. After he's fed them, when evening came, his disciples got down to the lake. And when they got down to the boat, they set across for the lake to Capernaum. And by now it was dark, and Jesus had not joined them. Verse 18, and a strong wind was blowing and the water grew rough. Everybody say rough. Oh, that was bad. Everybody say rough. 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 The wind grew rough. Not just calm, not just placid, but it's rough. And when they had rowed about three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water. And they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. We pray with me this morning? Lord, it's wonderful to be with you and with your people. What a gift that we can study your word as we celebrated freedom that we have last week. That we have the freedom to come and gather and talk about you and worship you through song and through our lives and fellowship with one another, not hidden or secret, uh, but in boldness and in full display. And we adore you this morning, God. Thank you that you're the God who calms storms and walks on water and, and somehow that meets us today And I pray that you would do only what you can through your spirit and through the study of your word. Allow it to study our lives and see where we have a wrong understanding of who you are. Allow us to uh, see that you're for us and you see us and you know us. Allow us to maybe take a step towards faith in you for the first time. Or just to renew a a vigor and a passion for you and your name and your word. May it be about you on display today and Not clever words or tactics, but just you. And that would be enough and sufficient for us today, God. That all that you have and all that you say are words of life to us today. And so do what only you can now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So he feeds 5,000. They get into a boat without Jesus. And Jesus goes away by himself. And about three or three and a half miles into rough waters, Jesus comes strolling by. Now some commentators say, oh no, he's walking on the shore. So he's walking on like the water like you and I do when we're at the beach and the water hits our feet and we're like, ooh, it's cold. But no, 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 they're three and a half miles out. Into this 13 by 8, 33 circumference lake, 150 feet deep, they're out in the deepest parts of this lake. And why would they be terrified by a guy walking on the the shore? Hey Jesus, we were wondering when you were going to come. Could little help? It's kind of windy out here. No, no, they're terrified because Jesus does the unthinkable and walks by them, and they're terrified. They're not calmed by his presence. They're freaked out by his presence because he does something unimaginable. See, they're so busy trying to get out of this rough water. Some of these men, expert fishermen, they're trying to use all their techniques to get out of the storm. They know these waters. They've navigated through these waters. Their ancestors have navigated through these waters. They have vacationed on different shores around. They're familiar with it. Growing up here, I used to like, listen to 91X surf report, and you always like, kind of see what the weather and the waves are doing. They know it. They're like, the wind's doing this, and it's sad, and, oh, you don't want to go there, it's all blown out, it's short day, it's long day, like, whatever. They know it. But they're freaking out. But it's so interesting that they're not freaking out about the condition in John's account. They're freaking about the presence of Jesus. He frightens them. He startles them. He's doing the unthinkable. The wind and the waves are still going, and Jesus is out there going, Hey, boys. You know, blink, blink, blink. Did I just see what I saw? Yeah, it's Jesus, and he's just there. And they're frightened. And what brings peace to these men in John's account is this, is that John doesn't really focus on their fear as much as maybe Mark or Matthew will do in just a moment. But he he focuses on the one who alleviates fear. The God who who speaks with authority and courage and boldness and audacity. He speaks words of peace to them. And it's the only thing that calms him. The familiarity of his voice is what calms him, not his presence in that moment. He's doing the unthinkable, bobbing up and down. It is I. I. Do not be afraid. What are you talking about? Do not be afraid. This is rough conditions, and you're on the water. That's not supposed to happen. Are we that tired? Was there something wrong with the fish, and it went sideways, and it's not settling well? There's no Dramamine on this boat, so I must be feeling like just I'm out of it. I think that's somebody out there on the water. Take heart, is I do not be afraid and Jesus gets into the boat. And in John's account, there's no calming of the storm. There's what might be a second miracle in John's account. They're willing to take him in verse 21 says. And then immediately, say immediately. The boat reaches the shore where they were headed. So he walks on water and all of a sudden beam me up Scotty and they transport over here. What the heck? How did we water, fish, loaves, psh, at shore? We were headed in an instant. Perhaps a second miracle, or maybe it's just the come down of, oh my gosh, if you've been in a storm before and you're, I didn't think we we're gonna make it. I was I was like praying my last prayers and making sure my will was in order and everything was gonna be good. And by the time we come down and go, Jesus, what was that all about? And the boat hits the shore. Either way, Jesus does the unthinkable. He walks on water. And John's account is a beautiful thing. You can read later if you want and you're taking notes. Psalm 107, 28 through 30. It talks about God bringing those in a storm crying out for help. It says this, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper and the waves of the sea were hushed and they were glad it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. John's drawing our attention to say that's a thing that God does. Not only is God walking on the water but there's the fulfillment of that. He guides them to their desired location. and So in an instant, the readers of John go... Oh, I see what he's doing here. I think he's saying Jesus is God. I think he's making a case to say that Jesus is the son of God. He walks on water, what God does. He brings them to their desired location, safely and calmly, something only God does. No prophet, no strategy, no water resistant shoes ever get those things there. That's John's account. How does that connect to loaves and fish and walking on water? It's not so clear, is it? It might just be me, but it's not so clear to me. So we go to Mark's account now. In Mark chapter 6, if you're following, it'll be on the screens for you. He has some subtle nuances that give helpful information. You see that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. So, So now what Mark includes that John's account doesn't include is that It was right after feeding everybody that at Jesus' invitation and instruction, he invites his disciples into a boat and sets sail. His invitation is very key. Now that we know that there's a storm, sometimes, maybe you're like me, it's there's somebody, there's the enemy causing this storm in my life. And yet, that could be true, but sometimes the invitation of the Lord into the storm is true. As if Jesus is trying to say, you just had a lecture, and now it's time for a lab. You just saw this beautiful act of me feeding these multitudes, these 5,000 family units, and now you're going to go outside of me being in the boat with you for a time of lab. Did you just understand what happened? So immediately they go. And then we see that Jesus is the one dismissing the crowds. So Jesus stays for long enough to say, all right, 5,000 family units, time to go. Time to go. See you later. I'm not going to be your king. He didn't just retreat instantly. He's having them go away. And he doesn't just go to a mountain to just go to a mountain, but he goes into his pattern to do what? To the mountainside to what? To pray. A common pattern that we see Jesus do, it's ministry, retreat, ministry, retreat, ministry, retreat. I serve, now I go and listen to the Father. I serve, and now I go say, Father, what would you have me do next? As you saw a chapter ago, I don't do anything beyond what the the Father tells me to do. So immediately they go, he sends them at his instruction, he dismisses the crowd, and then he goes to pray. Continues on in chapter 6. Go back to the, the one before that. Later that night, yeah, in the boat, he was alone on land. And now we have some new addition. Maybe John didn't want to focus on the pain and the strife, but Mark does. They were straining with oars. There's just blisters and labor and trying to get past out of this. But the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, he goes out to them. So now we have a timestamp of when Jesus comes out to meet them. It's in the early mornings that he meets them. And their straining and their tactics and their techniques, they all fail them. It says, continues, that the wind was against them about the fourth watch of the night. He went out on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But then they saw him walking on the lake. And here's why they were terrified. They didn't think it was Jesus. They thought it was a what? A ghost. And they cried out, Oh, my gosh, there's a ghost. If things couldn't get worse, there's a ghost out here. I knew it. And the fishermen might be going, guys, calm down. We're going to get through this. But you have tax collectors in there going, I just sat in a booth all day. I was turning numbers. Now I'm out here, I'm going to throw up, and oh, this is awful. And there's a ghost? Seriously? It doesn't get any worse than this. What kind of day are we having? Why did I ever sign up for this? Mark's account is interesting because in chapter 4, just two chapters before this, the disciples are in a different storm with Jesus at his invitation. And there's some PTSD likely going on in this storm. Here we go again. Jesus, why do you keep bringing us to storms? I love this picture. It's a Rembrandt painting if you put it on the screen. This is a picture of Mark 4 by Rembrandt. You can't see it really well. I encourage you to google it, but it's beautiful. Just a pause of art. You can see movement and motion. If you look at and examine the disciples' faces, they're beautiful. But in this situation, Jesus invites them out and a great storm comes. And after a full day of ministry, Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Meanwhile, these guys are working the storm trying to get out of it and they start freaking out. Again, expert fishermen who know these waters and have navigated them, and they're freaking out. That means it's a pretty bad storm. And if you've ever been in a storm like that, physically or just metaphorically, you know that as the wind and the waves build, your heightened anxiety comes up. It's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay, it's not gonna be okay. Oh my gosh, it's dead, it's a ghost! We're all gonna die. I love the disciple right here you can't really see him that great but there's this little like orange thing that's him puking on the other side of the boat <laughs> It's Rembrandt okay so you know it's classic art I guess But I love it it's so true And Jesus is looks disoriented like why are you waking me It's just a storm I'm with you So likely in Matthew six, or in Mark 6 now they're going it's never going to get better, and they're not remembering the storm they just came out of. A storm feels different this time. Maybe the wind, maybe the waves, but one noticeable thing is Jesus isn't in the boat with him. Even though Jesus is sleeping in Mark chapter 4, he's now not with him at all. I knew it. Why would he do this? Why isn't he here? Why again? Why now? We're tired just like he is. Why would he allow the storm to happen? Why did we say yes to following him if this is how we're going to die? I could be at home right now. I could be doing whatever I want to my heart's content. And yet here I am, stuck on this boat, and now a ghost. Great. It says immediately, though, this time in Mark's account, he gives a little more. He adds a phrase, take courage. He speaks to them and he says, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he climbs into the boat and the wind dies down completely. In Mark's account, the wind and waves subside as Jesus enters the boat. His voice calms their nerves. His words bring courage and now his physical presence brings calm in the storm. And Mark does the, the best job of tying in the fourth sign to the fifth sign. After he speaks to them, the wind and the wave died down, and they're completely amazed, as they should be. He walked on water to get to them. He gets in the boat, and the wind and the waves stop immediately. And verse 52, they were completely amazed, for they did not understand about the loaves what they were completely amazed for they did not understand about the loaves and their hearts were hardened what are you talking about you did understand about the loaves the point of John and Mark and what we'll see here Matthew agrees with all of that he doesn't add anything new in this particular moment but what it does is it's directing our attention, Mark specifically directing our attention to a better Moses. You can go to Psalm 77 later and read. But Psalm 77:19 19 talks about God navigating through storms and a path through the storms he goes through but leaves no footprints. It's alluding to the Red Sea and the parting and Israel being led to freedom and being saved. And Jesus is doing that. Again, something only God does. He walks on water. He leaves no pathway. He's a better Moses. He brings freedom in a totally different way. He brings life in a totally different way. He's just not a good guy. He's not just a great leader. He's a better Moses. He's a better Aaron. The last verse of that we'll say in verse 20. And how is that connected to bread and loaves? The point of John and Mark now is saying... If these guys would have understood what just happened, not just a lot of food got distributed to people, but that the Son of God brought actual, tangible, physical relief. He did something that only God could do. As manna came from heaven, now bread now comes and is distributed to the people. Jesus will come next week and say that he is the bread of life. Not only do I provide the physical bread to you, but I am actual bread. If you eat of me, you'll never go hungry again. So God does the unthinkable and feeds and literally brings life and sustains them. And now in this moment of terror and impending doom and death, Jesus brings life to these men in a boat, terrified by a ghost worrying about a storm, if they would have only understood that they were with God and God was with them, no storm would bring that much terror. They wouldn't be overwhelmed because they said, Jesus, at his word we went. And Jesus is God and he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, so if he knew, he sends us and we go. And if he's on the wind and the waves, of course he is because he's God and so he treads the seas like only he can. And so we don't have to be afraid. But their hearts were hardened. What's interesting to know about this moment is that their hearts being hardened is this, is that they knew Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they did works and miracles in the name of Jesus, and yet they still didn't know who they were working with. They still didn't know who they were walking with. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. Because I'm a big knucklehead most of the time. I'm still going, about the loaves? Well, this storm is different. You were asleep and at least you were there, but now you're not. And, but see, if you could have just come sooner, then that would have been more helpful because me and Peter had a little tiff and it was tough. And now there's some re- relational things that we have to work on because we didn't get it. And I was about to just abandon ship and say, I'm not following Jesus anymore and this is not worth it. And this, something about this storm feels different, Jesus. Maybe you can relate. As we kind of come to a conclusion, we go to Matthew's gospel, if you're following still, Matthew 14. He really has nothing new to say. He he agrees with, with Mark and says, yep, the disciples, it was Jesus' instruction. Jesus dismissed the crowd. He goes and prays. Later that night, while they're considerable distance, Jesus sees them. He comes to them. Nothing new there. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. But What Matthew does do is bring something way more personal. Each book is written with a different authorship's purpose. And and Matthew's is to see that Jesus is a fulfillment of all God's scripture. From Old Testament to now, he's a fulfillment of that. And so what, what Matthew does is he includes a very personal testimony of Peter walking on water. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, then tell me to come to the water. It's such a Peter thing. He's a ready, fire, aim guy. He's chopping off an ear because, wait, I wasn't supposed to do that? Okay, Jesus healed the ear. He's so impetuous and I love it. He's like, I'm all about it. I'm all in. Yeah. In a storm, he said, Well, if it's you, then I want to do that. So call me out. And Jesus says, Come. And so in a storm, Jesus goes, Come on, buddy. And Peter goes, I'm all in. he jumps in. Does everybody know in a storm you stay in the boat? Like, unless it's like capsizing or something? Like, you don't leave the boat. And impetuous Peter leaves the boat. I'll come. And he comes. And he walks on water. You know, no training wheels. It's still a storm. The, The storm has not calmed yet. The wind has not calmed yet. He didn't say, let me just steal the storm and now you do it. A little tricycle, baby. Come on, little first baby steps. He's just like, well, come on. Where's your faith? Come on, buddy. I'm with you. Let's do it. And Peter does it. And he walks. And him and Jesus have this moment. He's looking at Jesus full of faith and confidence and going, you are the sustainer of life. You are the healer. You're the great I am. As you provided bread and saved them, you're saving me. I'm safe with you. But as he saw the wind, he became afraid. He takes his eyes off Jesus and goes, what was that? A little splash on the back of the head and go, whoa. that, That one, whoa, Jesus. Hey, hold on. It's getting a little too much for me. And the smells and the, the feel of the wind and the power of the storm begins to captivate Peter's mind. And in that moment, he becomes afraid, full of faith and confidence, full of who Jesus is. And yet, the wind and the waves are clearly more powerful than the power of Jesus. So he sinks. And he prays a prayer. Maybe you've prayed it before. I know I have. Lord, save me. Just would you please save me? And what I love is that Jesus' salvation is immediate, it's relational, it's personal, and he extends a hand. I got you, bud. Reaches out. Here's what I don't like. You of little faith, why do you doubt? I'm sorry, there was eleven other guys in the boat. Not one of them said, sign me up, Jesus. Not one. And it's not like other people have done this so we know what to do. I'm doing something totally new and foreign, and everything in me is going, ah! Ah! I got you, bud. I save you. Here you are. Not, are you Okay not I'm proud of you. Not way to go. Pretty fun. Ready for next week we'll do it again another surf sash? No. No. Just you have little faith. Why did you doubt? See when you saw me well done. It was so good. You saw me and you were like I'm doing it. This is awesome. But you took your eyes off of me. Why did you doubt? Remember the loaves? Do you, do you remember what you just saw literally hours ago? If you could have just known and rested in that and trusted in that and trusted in that I'm God and here I am in the flesh. That you would know that I'm bigger than any storm. That you know I'm bigger than any wind and wave that comes your way. Quite do you doubt? You have little faith. Oh, I'm so much bigger than what you occupied your mind with in that storm. Oh, I'm so much greater than that. In fact, let's step into the boat. Wind and wave die. See, it was salvation was that close to you, but why did you doubt? You're afraid of the storm, and you worship the storm maybe more than me. And you've allowed it to take place. You allowed yourself to be distracted by the wind and the waves. And yet, eyes on me. I got you. Come. The wind dies down. They're in the boat. And the right response is they worship. Truly, you are the son of God. The beauty in Matthew's account is that this storm accomplishes what it's intended to do. To help them move from Jesus is a good guy and he does pretty cool things to he's the son of God. In John's account to see that Jesus is Messiah and there's life in his name. And life literally brought through bread and sustenance in that way and life being the rescue of wind and waves he commands the seas. As the worship team comes up we're gonna just give you four things to think about. We've talked a lot about that storm but a storm theology for you and I today. The first is this, four things. It's so dumb, but it's practical. Ready? Storms come. Number one, storms come. You're not unique in your situation if you find yourself in a storm today. It doesn't diminish the storm that you're going through, but it's just the reality that storms will come in life. It's one phone call, it's one email, it's one left turn transforms your whole life, your family's life. It's one doctor decision. It's one paycheck that becomes your last paycheck. It's one relational thing that brings tumult and storm and wind and waves. And though you might be through a storm, you may forget. But storms come. No one's exempt from that. And we shouldn't be surprised by it. You're in a storm today. You're coming out of a storm, or a storm will be coming. That's the theology of the storm. It will come. Number two, storms are disorienting. Oh, man, are they disorienting. It's easy to look at these disciples and go like, guys, why were you afraid? Like, seriously, Peter, why don't you just keep walking? But they're disorienting. Fear kicks in, anxiety kicks in, displacement of where am I and what's happening? I can't even I'm so consumed by the wind and the waves, I, I can't even get through my ordinary tasks to get through through the day. I know I've seen a storm, but this one's surprising. There's something different about it. It's putting me off. I don't know if I'll recover from this storm. All my technique techniques and strategies and labor, they're not getting me anywhere. I'm stuck. I'm disoriented. And in that disorienting, we can wonder, where is God? Why would he be doing this? And why this way and not that way? And why so long? Couldn't I get it in a different way? Couldn't I understand that you're the God who subsides the storms and the seas in a different way? They come and they're disorienting. Third, Storms reveal what we truly believe about God. It's a fear versus faith moment. And which one wins? The fear of what the storm can do or faith in the one who calms the storms? Fear in the wind and the waves that wreak havoc and we know what the byproduct of those things does or the God of salvation who sees and is near and comes? I can take him at his word if I believe who he is, is that I can take courage because he's with me. I can say, it is I, it's him, it's the great I am that he's with me and near me and close to me. I don't have to be afraid because he's not afraid. If Jesus is freaking out, I'm freaking out. But in chapter four, he's sleeping, so I think he's doing pretty good. And while there's a wind and waves, he's going for a 3 a.m. stroll at the fourth night, not afraid at all. Hey, guys, it is I. Take courage. Do not be afraid. Storms reveal what we think about God. And the fourth is this, as we turn our attention to communion here next. Jesus walking on water reveals who he is. He's a stealer of storms. He's the wave rider of all wave riders. Instrument of death and havoc is the thing that he triumphs over in that moment as he walks. No storm too great. The storm that's impending doom is the thing that he triumphs so effortlessly that he can stroll across. In a similar way as John ends is that we see that Jesus is crucified and betrayed and he dies and he's buried and he's resurrected and he, he triumphs over a different death actual physical death and yet he triumphs over a spiritual death that he brings life and there's life in his name so church where's your theology in the storm today where do you struggle are you surprised that they come know that they come are you disoriented me too But, do you trust who he is? Can you take him at his word? He's the calmer of the storm. The wind and waves are nothing to him. So you can trust in Jesus in the storm. You can find rest in him today. Direct your attention to him. Take your eyes and belief off the wind and the waves and set it on him this morning. Amen. We're going to invite Matt Jarvin up. We're going to do communion together as a family.